If you are listening to this, there are three things you need to know. One, total product revenues in the technology industry actually peaked back in 2008. By product revenues, we mean selling technology as an asset that the customer buys and installs on premise. Two, X as a service, and that's software as a service, internet as a service, or managed services offers, are the fastest growing revenue streams in the technology industry. And three, right now there are only two types of technology companies, ones that are growing at double-digit rates and ones that are in slow-motion liquidation. I'm Steve Frost, Vice President of Research here at TSIA. Welcome to the first episode of a 10-part series titled, The Haves and Have-Nots of the Technology Industry. For those listeners not familiar with TSIA, we're a for-profit research institute. We track the financial performance of the largest publicly traded technology providers on the planet. And more importantly, we perform deep operational benchmarking with the technology companies that are on the TSIA platform. And it's that data and our interactions with member companies that inform the insights you'll hear in this series. Now, let me introduce you to Thomas Law, the executive director of TSIA, who authored a paper on this topic of the have and have nots of tech. Thomas, what was the inspiration for this content? Well, well, Steve. By the way, it's great, great to be here, and I really look forward to doing this this series together. I think we're gonna have a we're gonna have a good time. I think it's gonna be really informative for our, our listeners. But you know, you know, we're working with all of these technology providers, you know, hardware companies, software companies, managed service providers, resellers, and they are all working to transform their business models, and they're they're attempting to execute something that TSIA calls the shift to the right. And so I, I want you to envision a spectrum of how technology companies position their value to customers. And on the far left, we have technology companies that are solely focused on product differentiation. And on the far right are technology companies that focus on value realization and ultimately on helping their customers achieve specific business outcomes. Now, the current industry trends are forcing technology providers to shift from the left of the spectrum to the right, uh, a shift from focusing on product differentiation to value realization. Okay, so value realization then, who's shifting? Uh, who's becoming more focused on, say, vertical industry solutions, or who's growing these access to service offers? Well, I mean, to just name a few, you know, it's a who's who, right? We have Microsoft, we have AWS, we have Dell, we have HPE, we have Cisco, SAP, NCR. Philips Healthcare, Salesforce, and so many more. And as TSI witnesses this migration, it is apparent there is an emerging divide in the technology industry, a growing chasm between the haves and the have-nots. The haves are well-positioned to capture market share as the global economy returns. The have-nots are struggling to tread water. Well, if you, if you talk about that list you just gave us, it's not just new companies versus old companies, right? Or people that have been around a while, or hardware versus software. There's more nuance to this. And, and so and I know there's more differences. So given that you can't lump people together, what would you say are the differences high level between the have and the have-nots? Yeah, great question. And there are seven attributes that we look at that, that we feel really separate the haves 
from the have-nots. And, and let me start with the first one, which is something we call low friction land. Historically, technology companies have invested lots of resources into landing a new customer. And you know this from your work with sales organizations, right? I, I mean, we've got all these folks running around to land the customer. We have account executives, we have solution engineers, we have product sales specialists, and on and on and on. Yeah, not to mention the hundreds of millions of dollars we spend in marketing, not to mention inside sales, PDRs. I mean, it, the whole apparatus is geared to go out and land new logo customers. Absolutely. And, and why? Because there were lots of high hurdles that needed cleared before the customer signed the check. And why? Because the customer wanted to make damn sure the technology they were about to own would meet their needs. Uh, but, but the haves in the industry are reducing that friction. They're making it much easier for a new customer to start using the technology. And after this low friction land, these technology providers focus on helping the customer successfully adopt the solution and verify the value. And then these providers focus on expanding the financial relationship with this customer. Right, because when you are getting on a platform, you may be, you know, you can have a trial version, you can have a freemium version. Uh, we're all engineering out this complexity to try to make it easier for customers to come onto our platforms. But, you know, then the question is, what do you do with them when they're on, when they're on your platform? And, you know, so I can see this attribute in technology companies serving consumers. We've been doing this in B2C for a long time, but enterprise technology, that's new. Are you seeing enterprise technology companies actually pursuing this idea of low friction land? Absolutely. And a great example of this low friction land mentality is a company named Palantir. And Palantir is a software company offering what they call intelligence services. Uh, they work with governments uh, and large commercial organizations, typically very large complex projects. And if you read their public financial documents, they describe their business model as operating in three phases. The first phase they call acquire, the second phase they call expand, and the third phase they call scale. And in this model, Palantir does not charge customers in the acquire phase. The, the goal is to implement their solution within the customer environment, demonstrate they can actually deliver value to the customer, and then customers in this acquire phase, they're actually typically unprofitable for Palantir, right? Palantir is investing to prove the value. The goal is after proving value is to expand and scale the relationship with the customer. And customers that are in the scale phase are profitable to Palantir. And the company actually reports the amount of revenue coming from customers in each one of these three phases. They also consider profitability per customer a critical success metric. So, so this approach, when you see it in the financial documents, is very clear. It's a great example of low friction land. Yeah, and, and you know, we were talking beforehand about Palantir's financials. And so market cap, $31 billion, less than a billion dollars of revenue. I mean, that's, that's pretty remarkable. Um, so it's, but this is flipping everything on its ear, isn't it? Because now, you, I mean, you're gonna be on the platform and growing in many cases maybe before you ever talk to a salesperson, which is just so strange. So different motion, gonna create a lot of challenges, gonna create a lot of disruptions. So that's attribute number one. What's the next attribute? Yeah, the, the next attribute that I wanna cover here is, is what we call robust as a service revenues. 
And as you mentioned at the opening, as a service revenue is the fastest growing revenue stream in the technology industry, companies that are growing as a service revenues are growing companies in tech. And companies that have robust as a service revenues have high company valuations. And you can think of companies like Adobe, Autodesk, Microsoft, PTC, et cetera. Technology companies that are not growing recurring as a service revenues do not have high valuation. And I'm not going to embarrass anyone by listing you know, who those companies are, but if you're listening, you know who you are. So everywhere you look, technology companies are promoting the fact that they want to jump on this recurring revenue train. And just look at the recent earnings reports from companies like Cisco, HPE, Dell, NCR, Citrix. They are shining a bright light on their as-a-service offers and their recurring revenues. Yeah, they want to they want to be in with the haves, not the have-nots, clearly. And, and making this move the way that Adobe and Autodesk and Microsoft and PC, PTC have, I mean, that, that, that's really the goal. All right, so you sold me on that one. Uh, what's the next attribute then after, uh, after we talk about these robust as a service revenues? Yeah, the next one I want to talk about, the, the attribute that the haves have, is signal liquidity. So, so what is signal liquidity? That's a good question. I, I want to hear this. Yeah, yeah. So this is, this is a term that I lifted from an NYU business professor named Scott Galloway. And he's on a, a podcast called Pivot that he co-hosts with uh, Kara Swisher. And Galloway argues that companies with strong, quote, signal liquidity, end quote, from their customers are, are much better positioned to grow. And by signal liquidity, he means how many signals does the company receive from their customers? And he uses the example of Netflix versus cable providers. And he says, hey, look, Netflix knows exactly what their customers watch, how long they watch it, et cetera. Cable providers are clueless. <laughs> For that reason, Galloway argues, Netflix is much better positioned to capture and retain customers than cable providers. And that's ex exactly what is happening in the, in the marketplace. You know, we have this, this phrase of consumers are cutting the cable cord. Well, folks, that example that Galloway uses in B2C, that play is coming to B2B. Technology providers that have strong signal liquidity will capture and retain customers. Technology providers that have no idea what their customers are doing with products will struggle to grow. Why? Well, that's because of this next attribute. The haves in tech have analytic-driven insights. Strong signal liquidity creates a lot of customer telemetry. Technology providers can feed that telemetry into tools like AI, machine learning, robotic process automation. The technology provider can then leverage the output of these tools to help customers to continually improve and optimize their business operations. I mean, man, it is a beautiful virtual cycle that makes the technology provider way more valuable to their customers. Yeah, it does. And, and you can totally see. So we see these kind of B2C motions coming into B2B more and more uh, as, 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 as the industry evolves. But what about other examples of these analytic insights that you've seen out in the wild? Yeah, there's lots of them. The one I like to use all the time is something that, that a lot of people can relate to. It's a simple example. Uh, but for, you know, as you know, TSIA, Steve, we use a cloud-based email system. And recently, this system started sending me two types of analytic-driven insights. Number one, review and analysis on how I'm spending my time. 
So it's looking and saying, hey, do you have enough focus time? You're supposed to be you know, writing articles and researching. Do you have enough time blocked to that? And also tells me who I'm spending my time with. Uh, am I starting my meetings on time? Am I in meetings and also checking email, right? Giving me feedback on, on how effectively I'm using my time. And then the other the insight that it's sending me is action items that people have sent me in email and asking me, hey, did you complete that? Right? So I find both of these insights very helpful, but they're only possible because you know, this vendor now has strong signal liquidity in this cloud version of, the, of this email product. Which is why when we talk to people who are struggling with how aggressive they want to move their offerings to the cloud, this is just another data point and another reason why this is so important. Without doing that, you don't get this kind of signal liquidity. And the second thing I know is that you'd have to think really hard before you swapped out that email system for another system. Because if you're not getting your daily reminders anymore, well, that might be more valuable than a price discount or anything else they could offer us to switch. So, all right, we've got that. Then what's the next attribute? Next attribute, adoption aptitude. Tech companies with a high adoption aptitude are very good at helping customers actually use their technology, i.e., you know, no shelfware, Steve. We all, we all know and love shelfware. Adoption can be driven through the product itself or, or service motions. At this point, I don't care how adoption gets done. The question is, does it happen? And let's look at an interesting real-world example. There's a company called Snowflake. It's a cloud company, and they provide uh, compute and storage services on a consumption basis. So basically, you only pay for, for what you use. And they are consistently cited as providing one of the fastest growing apps actually used in the marketplace. So they are very, very good at getting customers to actually use their applications and their services. Yeah, and if you look at Snowflake's financials, you see how it's paying off for them. They've got a market cap of over $70 billion with annual revenues of less than $300 million. That's stunning. Oh, I know. I know. It's crazy. And I think, Steve, that type of valuation, to, to your point, right, is being driven because they don't have one but multiple attributes in play that, that we're talking about here. Low friction land combined with this adoption aptitude. And again, companies, the haves, that have these attributes are doing better from a valuation perspective. So, so let me go to the to the um, the, the next uh, to last attribute here, which is something that there, there's a, there's a lot of heat around right now in the industry, and this is this concept of product led growth. This is the concept that the product itself drives new revenues. One way is through consumption based pricing. The more the customer uses the product, the more they pay. Another vector of product-led growth is product-led provisioning. Once the customer starts using the product, new features and capabilities they can leverage are unfolded and sold by the product to the customer. So again, no bus of, of sales representatives, you know, account executives and, and, and solution engineers required. Think about smartphone apps. Many of them are low friction land, followed by the unfolding of advanced features for a price that play is coming to a B2B relationship near you. Yeah, and, and Noqua, we keep seeing a recurring theme here. Uh, so maybe people ought to think about not just think, you know, when they think about their hiring, when they think about marketing, and think about these other things. Having that B2C kind of understanding might be, might be useful. All right, final attribute. What's the last one we wanna talk about here? Absolutely, final attribute, a platform play. Now, when we talk about 
platforms in tech, there are really two concepts that people think about. One is a technology platform, but the second one is a platform business model. And right now, lots of technology providers are promoting their platforms. The majority of the time, they're, they're referring to a technology platform that they want the other third parties to, to build value on top of. You can think of you know Salesforce platform that allows developers to build and deploy cloud applications. Uh, a platform business model is built on top of a technology platform. And in a platform business model, the technology company leverages their technology platform to connect customers with other companies, right? Third parties that can deliver value to the customer. And the technology company then takes a cut of that transaction. And yes, we are talking about how the Apple App Store works. Uh, again, this play is coming to, to B2B, you know, the marketplace, B2B marketplace near you. Uh, TSI, I'm, I'm aware of several members right now that are furiously working on standing up new platform business models for specific vertical markets. Now, so there you have it. Attributes that are separating the haves from the have-nots in the technology industry and coming even more quickly than any of us thought. Absolutely. And, and the growing problem that you know I see is that the technology companies that don't have any of these attributes, Steve, they're really struggling. And you can see it, right? Their, their top line revenues are flat or declining. They're facing new competitors and have some of these, that do have some of these attributes. And these companies that don't have any of these attributes are just looking really dated. And so I, I'm gonna, I wanna close this opening uh, session here where we set the stage uh, with, with a question and an observation. And the question I think everybody listening to this session should be asking themselves, you know, are you working for a have or are you working for a have not? And you really have to answer that question clearly. And then once you've done that, here's the observation. If you are working for a have not, I believe in my heart of hearts, you have three options. Number one, change companies. Go to a company that is really looking forward and leaning into these attributes. If you're not going to change companies, then, then you really need to change your company, right? The way it operates. You need to make these attributes a priority for how you're operating. And if you don't want to do those first two things, then you, you're, you, know, you can stay where you are, but brace yourself for working for a company that is in slow motion liquidation. This has been the first episode of a 10-part series titled The Have and Have-Nots of the Technology Industry. Join us for our next episode on the first of the attributes we talked about today, low friction land.